sing as one my land, my for this country we're walking on my land, my we stand together to protect this land for the future we're hand in hand program may contain traces of irony, sarcasm, satire, parody, mockery, banter, caricature, and nuts. The opinions expressed are almost certainly not shared by self-appointed officious dictatorial wowsers. If you are dangerously irony deficient or allergic to mockery of the self-important and corrupt, then get a life. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, it's time for another episode of the Environmental as Anything podcast. Thanks for joining me today. I'm Sean O'Shaughnessy. Next up, as promised, I'm speaking to Tim Buckley, who is the director of the Climate Energy Finance Public Interest Think Tank. And, uh, you know, Tim is one of the good, great authorities here in Australia on all matters to do with the transition to renewable prosperity. So it's a great pleasure to have you with us again on Environmental as Anything, Tim. Thank you very much for having me, Sean. No, always a pleasure. As I say, uh, look, there's so much going on, and I have uh, the the newsletter from uh, the the you know the climate, energy, and finance here in front of me. So I just wanted to run through some of the headlines with you because uh, productivity omission, the PC's epic fail on clean tech. What's going on in the productivity commission? Well, it, we probably should have put a um, historic reference there because uh, Jim Chalmers, Treasurer Jim Chalmers, did change the chair of the Productivity Commission this week, but uh, uh, that was after they put out a report which said that Australia should leave it to free markets when it comes to the energy transition. What could possibly think, go wrong with that? Well, exactly. Now, I mean, I have been a free market advocate for many, many uh, decades, but at the end of the day, when the Americans thump a trillion dollars of subsidies down on the table, the Homer capitalism says capitalism is not the solution. Let's put a billion, a trillion, sorry, $1,000 billion of subsidies on the table to accelerate the clean energy transition. That is a great news item, but it has created a race for the top. But at the same time, I was talking to an American um, policy advocate this week and he was saying, well, effectively, America has said that the WTO, the World Trade Organization, now has um, zero purpose because America is effectively thumbing their nose at it and saying we will subsidise our way into developing clean tech solutions and uh, that is because they can't compete directly against China and so they're going to onshore a lot of their supply chains and stimulate a massive manufacturing boom. And so it's quite amazing. The White House put out a press release a week ago saying that America has seen half half a trillion dollars of new manufacturing investment in the last 12 months. Now, that is wow. staggering when uh, you think about Everyone was talking about recession in America, and now Morgan Stanley uh, last week came out and said, in fact, we're upgrading our economic forecast because of President Biden's stimulus. It is stimulating so much manufacturing, so many new jobs. But the beautiful thing about this is not just economic growth. It is investment in technology solutions to the climate crisis, and we now have a race to the top. So Every scientist that you would talk to, every scientist I talk to, tells us we've got a climate crisis. We absolutely know that. We know it's going to get worse well Mm. before it gets better. Mm. But the good news is we actually can now see a path where the world collectively works to actually solve the climate crisis. Because 
China can't do it on their own. Europe can't do it on their own. We need all of the major countries, Australia included, to be in this race, and that is happening. And so that is great news. So how, and, how, uh, should should I just pause you there for a moment? Half a trillion dollars is a staggering amount of money. People struggle to, to make sense of these kinds of figures. But I should say that my understanding uh, is that the, Austra- the whole Australian economy is roughly $2 trillion. Yes, it, but then remembering the... American economy is something like 15 times bigger than our economy. So uh, still, yeah, it's a, you're it's, talking about a, a, a size, a number of su- amount of subsidy, which is effectively a quarter of the whole Australian economy, though, aren't we? Correct. Yeah. To stimulate new investment and new deployment of technologies at the speed and scale that the science dictates yeah. we have to have. Um, now, what the Productivity Commission came out and said is on a, Australia should ignore what America's doing, ignore what Korea's doing, ignore what India's doing and Europe's doing and China's doing and Japan's doing. We should just leave it a free market. In other words, consigning Australia to the ongoing dig and ship mentality that has gutted our manufacturing industry and left our economy uh, really, really exposed in terms of our uh, lack of refining and manufacturing and onshore supply chains. So... It, it was just ludicrous to be sitting there saying at a time when America's economy is booming and the clean tech sector is booming globally, the Productivity Commission, in my view, has just sort of rolled out the the arguments that, that were quite well um, believed in a decade or two ago, although I think there are very few proponents these days of privatisation being good for the average person in Australia. I think we realise that's an outright lie, mm. but... Uh, I call yeah, that voodoo-nomics. That's what I, I routinely refer to that as voodoo-nomics. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, just, just let the uh, outsource monopoly businesses do private vested interest, and, of course, they will never serve their own purposes. They'll, of course, serve the national interest like a public servant would. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah, get real. <laughs> so the good news is um, Jim Chalmers has changed the chair of the Productivity Commission and... Uh, said we need to actually redefine the economic parameters and we need to think strategically in Australia's national interest. So that's a step in, in the right direction for Australia and uh, we do need serious strategic input, but it's got to be reflective of the reality of the current situation, not just head in the sand, let's pretend it's a free market when it clearly is not a free market. But mm-hmm. I would say one aspect of the Productivity Commission report, I'll call out as a positive, they did just stress the obvious least-cost solution to solving the climate crisis for Australia is to have a whole-of-economy price on carbon. So not everything they wrote was silly. It was just out of touch with the current state of affair. Mm. And advocating for a whole-of-economy price on carbon when you know the Australian political landscape is so toxic on that topic, yeah, it's just um, not going to happen. So uh, at the end of the day, we need advice that is set in the current 2023 political, geopolitical and economic landscape. So we at Climate Energy Finance are calling for a very, very significant $100 billion of new public strategic interest investments to crowd in two or $300 billion of new investments in the Australian economy to put Australia in the, in the global race on the energy transition. Yeah, and that hundred billion of uh, investments backed up by by a, a list of of, of smart uh, 
people and organisations who are all, all well in on this uh, uh, these issues. And, you, and you're also saying that the the new uh, commission chair, Chris Barrett, we have hopes that Chris will uh, will, will will actually have a 21st century perspective and uh, keep an eye on on uh, how they perform. Hey, absolutely, exactly. Well, look. There is also uh, some quite good news from from the uh, from the perspective of the uh, the hip pocket nerve of the average punter. That the, the uh, AEMO energy update says that uh, prices are down, down, down. Apparently, yes, it was amazing how the Murdoch press managed to say up. Uh, sorry, down is up, but that's <laughs> unfortunately the headline in the Financial Review was saying, "Oh, electricity prices went up quarter on quarter." <laughs> Oh, the reality is AMO is reporting that they're down 59% year on year. And last time I checked, we're in the middle of winter. Electricity prices always go up into winter. Mm. That is a seasonal influence because it's cold and because it's less sunny. Mm. Uh, therefore, there's less solar radiation. So you have to take into account seasonality. You compare things year on year, not quarter on quarter. But, of course, the fossil Luddites wanted to push the point, oh, we had Liddell close and the power prices went up. But the reality is the really good news is power prices year on year went down by 59%. And uh, so that means in 12 or 11 months' time, when we all get hit with the next annual price rise for electricity prices across the eastern seaboard, my forecast is we will see negative retail electricity prices. Probably only marginal, but far better than the 25% increase we got hit with this year, which built on the 25 to 30% increase we got hit with last year. So I think we're at the, the top of the energy cost of living crisis, and now it's about how do we actually make sure this does not happen again. We need to accelerate deployment of renewables as fast as we can to permanently lock in lower energy prices for everyone in Australia. Yeah, and not only is it good news on energy prices, but increased supply of renewables uh, it means that the carbon emissions from the electricity market were lowest on record as well. Yeah, that's it's a, a key point. So the lowest on record um, carbon emissions intensity in the Australian electricity grid, and the reality is it will be beaten next year and the year after and the year after, which means we're on the right path. We've now got to really accelerate it. Now, that's not home and hose. We, we do have plenty of bottlenecks in the system. We are hearing about supply chain bottlenecks. We're hearing about uh, issues with regards to the approval of new transmission systems. So we do need to work strategically. We need the government to work with the industry, to work with the regulator and actually find a path through that deploys capital at the speed and scale that the science tells us and also in uh, in a way that makes sure that the cost of living crisis that's smashing everyone in 2023 is steadily eroded here on and I'm hopeful that will be the case. Uh, we do need to see the investments flow and so I did catch up with the New South Wales Energy Minister this uh, last week and she was certainly absolutely on song as to the priorities of getting the cost of living down to getting renewables deployed to driving and sole solutions to the energy crisis the climate crisis so uh, we're hopeful but uh, yeah there's a lot of work to be done before we're out of the woods yeah yeah but good to hear that uh, you know that all of the indicators are pointing in the right direction cheaper cleaner power with a government in place that's not hostile to cheap clean power that's uh, that's a good combination of things isn't it it is, and I'll throw an extra word, clean, cheap, 
domestic power because we still import something like $30 billion a year of oil and diesel. And we actually subsidise the domestic use of diesel. Like 60 years later, you'd say uh, there is zero strategic value. That's actually an own goal that's locking in the subsidy of really expensive, really high emissions, imported oil and gas, oil and diesel. It's just ludicrous. So that's something I've been campaigning on. We need to get the diesel fuel rebate capped and phased out so that we can accelerate the deployment of electric vehicles and electrification of everything, because that will increase our energy security. It'll increase the use, as you said, of cheap, clean domestic energy mm-hmm. and which brings us neatly to uh the subject which we 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 covered uh, at some at some length uh, uh, a week ago uh, when we had uh, freya leonard from uh, fo in melbourne talking to us about uh, the phase out of gas in victoria so gas on the nose and out of the house you're you're reporting as well yeah that was uh, brilliant to see minister lily d'ambrosi taking a world leadership position. Now, I'm being a little harsh on the ACT, but uh, Victoria has announced the, the banning of all new gas connections in new residential and commercial buildings as a major step forward in Lily D'Ambrosi's uh, gas substitution roadmap. So you've got to stop... When you're in a hole, you've got to stop digging. So she's now mandated that... Uh, no new gas connections can happen in Victoria, where Victoria is something like 40% of news, of Australia's total gas use. Wow. And uh, so that's a really big, uh, big step forward in uh, Dr Saul Griffith's work, Electrify Everything, mm. and about building um, the capacity to deploy renewable energy and electricity solutions and to get off the fossil gas, because we have to do that. We've got to do it at speed. And it just shows how much social licence to operate the gas companies have actually lost in uh, the gas cartel, as I've talked about a long time, has been the gas cartel has been screwing Australian consumers and they've been thumbing the nose to the federal government when the federal government's going, come on, on, we've got an energy crisis. Could you please not gouge us totally right now as you're making the highest profits in world history. And the gas industry said, no, screw you. We will want to keep making our uh, war profits and we want to keep all of them for ourselves. And fortunately, we have the Albanese government in there thinking about the average Australian and saying um, we do need to actually solve this and we can't be just gouged by the fossil fuel industry. And so Lily D'Ambrosi in Victoria taking a real leadership I would love to see the men's government in New South Wales follow suit, but unfortunately they've shown they're a little spineless on that topic. Yeah, they, uh, came, they came out. We were all sort of holding our breath, hoping that the New South Wales government was then going to follow suit. And, of course, they, uh, they said, no, no, not us. We're, uh, we're, we've got other things that we're going to do. We're not going to bother doing this simple, straightforward uh, uh, thing that we can add to the suite. We've got enough. Uh, we've done enough. We've done our bit, I think, was the, the strategy. Yeah, we haven't seen enough bushfires, we haven't seen enough floods, we haven't seen enough cost of living crises. Uh, Chris Menz just can't actually grow a spine sufficient to take on the gas industry. And that is, unfortunately, the state of play in Australia. We need to ban fossil fuel donations in our politics. Mm -hmm. And while the two major parties are addicted to their donations, that's bribery, that's corruption, Mm -hmm. and it is corrupting our democracy. But, no, Chris Menz is going to... uh, Keep serving the fossil fuel industry and keep uh, 
the pressure on 8 million New South Wales citizens for another couple of years. But at some point, enough voters will get the point that we actually need to break the stranglehold of the fossil gas cartel mm. that uh, is uh, screwing us. Yeah, well, and, and of course, speaking of New South Wales and its its uh, its relationship with the fossil fools, you, you've got uh, so again some more uh, prospect of some more good news. At least New South Wales coal royalty boost on the agenda is saying just do it. Uh, it it sounds like uh, you know that there's a possibility that New South Wales might be growing a spine on coal. Yeah, it's possible, and we did put that in. We did try and encourage the men's government to grow a spine, but I'm, I'm not confident they will do it. I mean, at the end of the day, taking on the New South Wales Minerals Council, yeah, small chance that the uh, New South Wales government will do that. We've got to let the Swiss and German billionaires gouge us a bit more. Um, but Queensland has the biggest surplus in Queensland history yep. at the state level, and New South Wales has the biggest deficit in New South Wales history. Queensland has a progressive coal royalty where they share the super um, normal profits being made on the back of Putin's illegal and immoral war in Ukraine. Mm. But New South Wales is saying, no, 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 let the coal industry keep all of the upside. Mm, yeah. It would be unfair to tax the billionaires. Let's just keep keep the energy crisis on 8 million New South Wales citizens. So I am being a bit harsh on Chris Minns. He might actually grow a spine and do what should have done, but it should have been done 15 months ago. I estimated we could have been making as a state $2 billion a month if our politicians had a spine wow. or a moral compass. $2 billion, $2 billion a month. month. Now, if we did it today, it would probably bring in an extra couple of hundred million dollars a month. But Last time I checked, a couple hundred million bucks a month would actually help solve energy poverty in a fair number of the most vulnerable people in New South Wales. But uh, I'm not holding my breath. But it's possible. Couldn't go astray. It seems to be uh, to be to, to be adding a lie to the oh, was it Paul Keating's great aphorism, which you never get between a premier and a bucket of money. And uh, there's a big bucket of money, and they're just not they're just sort of turning their back on it. Yeah, and the beautiful thing about it in Queensland, just to rub the point home about why I'm being so harsh on Chris Minns, I mean, he's, he seems to be OK, but OK in the middle of an energy crisis. Mm. We, we need a leader. And uh, uh, Premier Palaszczuk up in Queensland's been able to hand out cheques for $1,000 per household to help alleviate the cost of living crisis that the fossil fuel industry is inflicting on us in Queensland. In New South Wales, we haven't got any money to hand out to help alleviate that energy poverty. So the Palaszczuk government has been attacked, unbelievably attacked by the the CEO of BHP. Like, not once, not twice, not ten times. It's just getting pathetic that the CEO of BHP, as he's making out like a... Apps like uh, only made ten billion dollars profit, and that's U.S. real dollars. That, that's not enough. He's bitching about the fact that he's having to pay a little bit of those profits back to the Queensland government, who actually owns the coal. And so the sour grapes there is unbelievable. But Premier Palaszczuk has realised she's there to serve the people of Queensland. I'm hoping at some point the New South Wales government will serve the people of New South Wales and not the coal lobby. <laughs> Yeah, well, let's uh, let's not hold our breath, but uh, live in hope at least. We live in hope. <laughs> the, the horse has, and I'll, I'll, I'll say it though, the horse has largely bolted, and I think the stable's now burnt down, and now they're about to shut the gate because the coal price is down seventy percent in the last six months. So 
it would have been a great time to do it six months ago. It would have been unbelievable, like $2 billion a month. Now, if um, the New South Wales government does it, it'll be an extra couple hundred million. But a couple hundred million a month would certainly help pay down some of the 11, 12, 13 billion dollar deficit we're running it, mm. and it could help alleviate some cost of living. So, did you I'm say? Hopeful, did you, just, just sorry, I'm just going to rewind it slightly because I'm. Did you say 70 percent that the, the the coal price is down 70 percent? Yes, which is it is, and now that shows how far. That's how incredible high fluctuation, isn't it? I mean, we've talked about this before. Yeah. This massive fluctuation in fossil fuel prices makes them inherently unreliable, doesn't it? Oh, the volatility, as you're saying, is extreme. Like coal prices went up eight hundred percent in oh. the last two years, and now they're down seventy percent from their near highs. The other number. Let me throw another number at you. This is the one I am watching. The polysilicon price globally is down 78% year-to-date. Now, why am I so excited by that? It's because solar modules are built with polysilicon. Mm. So it's, the cost of solar modules has dropped 30% in the last 12 months. Oh, and with polysilicon down 78%, the price of modules is going to drop probably another 10% per annum for the rest of this decade. China's doubling and then doubling again their solar module manufacturing capacity. And so we are going to see record high solar installations this year, like we saw last year, like we saw the year before, like we saw the year before that. And for the next five years, we're going to see record high solar module installs every year as the industry just grows and grows. So we are at an absolute pivot point, and that's what makes me really optimistic. The cost of solar is going to halve this decade. We're, it's already the lowest cost source of new energy in most countries around the world, and it's going to halve in the next seven years. That's right. It's coming price. off a very, very low base. It went down by 80 or 90% uh, you know, over the previous four or five decade. years, didn't it? Yeah. The, the, yeah. So it's really, it's, it couldn't get much lower without being basically for free, could they? And that is it. We are going to, whenever it's sunny, the power price in, uh, the wholesale power price is going to be negative in New South Wales, in in Victoria, across the whole of Australia, across big chunks of America, uh, big chunks of China and India. The power price will be negative whenever it's sunny. And so that will then instigate investment. And we're seeing massive investment these days in batteries because Mm. Everyone goes, oh, but remember, the sun goes down predictably every night. (laughs) It's amazing. I I, I know our old uh, uh, Angus Taylor, our old energy minister, used to be (laughs) shocked. Every night he was shocked. Horrified. Oh, my God, it's gone dark again. What's happening? (laughs) But but now we get negative wholesale power prices. That then means you charge your batteries for free and then you discharge them predictably every night when the sun goes down. And that helps depress the evening power price, which means everyone is a winner we are actually going to have predictable zero emissions and cheap energy prices over the next five, ten years as we invest. But there's a huge investment to come, but that is the, the silver lining. And then the gold lining is Australia is going to be a world leader as we become a renewable energy-powered critical mineral superpower and we export embodied decarbonisation to all of our trade partners so that we're going to get a manufacturing and jobs and export boom in Australia. I'm actually more excited now than I have been in a decade in doing this work. The opportunities for Australia are staggering and our federal government and our state governments are starting to understand the magnitude of the opportunity. Yeah, and I think we we should wrap it up soon, but I think perhaps I want to just quickly to, uh, uh, to... 
to, to draw the conversation a little bit towards the, uh, uh, the, 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 the tipping point that you alluded to earlier. There's been uh, uh, a massive sort of shift now where the, the, the actual dominant source of, of energy supply is now in the renewables uh, and, and it's beginning to, like it's surpassing uh, the, the fossil fuel energy supply, isn't it? It is, and, and that's been really evident in Europe where I think renewable energy generation is now exceeding the coal industry uh, for the first time ever, and we're seeing tipping points all over the place. We're seeing China's electric vehicle sales, they doubled last year, year on year, and in the year, this year they're up another 40%, 50%. We're seeing battery capacity being built at like never before. We're seeing solar module capacity being built around the world like never before. So we are at a tipping point, and uh, so we are seeing exponential change. So the race to a top, I mean, there's nothing like uh, America throwing a trillion dollars of subsidies at the table, but don't think China's going to say, oh, America's back in the game, we'll just stand aside and let them win. The Chinese will go even harder, and we've got to race to the top, and that's what the climate crisis is telling us we need. Every scientist I talk to says we need it. We actually have that underway, so uh, let's hope that that continues to be the case and we've got a race to the top and we actually start to deal with the globally, collectively, with the climate crisis and deploying the solutions at the speed and scale the world needs to see. And then we help the emerging markets do it in their economies as well. And so everyone, um, I mean, we, we end up with cheaper zero emissions, uh, domestic energy energy security as, a, as an opportunity, and uh, we break the uh, fossil fuel ga- cartel that's been holding the world to ransom over the last two years and uh, democratise energy somewhat. So there's actually a lot of silver linings in there, and as mm. usual, despite ourselves, Australia is blessed. We're in the box seat to be a beneficiary of this. Tim, as always, uh, in a world beset with uh, truly apocalyptic circumstances which are, seem to be, to be swamping us, it's a great pleasure to have somebody who can bring a bit of a silver lining and a glimmer of hope to the table. So thank you very much for joining us today. We'll have to get you all gone. Uh, we'll have to not leave it so long before we get you back on again. Brilliant. Nice to talk again. Thanks, Thanks Tim. Sean. That was Tim Buckley. He's the uh, director of the uh, uh, Climate Energy Finance Public Interest Think Tank. And, uh, yeah, just talking us through some of the news uh, here in Australia around the world for the transition to renewable prosperity. That uh, is very exciting, really. It's good to hear him being excited uh, about that because, you know, clearly there's uh, great opportunities for us all in that transition. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Environmental As Anything podcast. Uh, I'll be bringing them to you as regularly as I can. If you'd like to tune in to more of this kind of uh, material, uh, there's plenty of episodes available. You can subscribe to our podcast. And while you're there, you might as well rate it and help uh, spread the word by sharing it on social media if you can. We're on social media, of course, on Facebook particularly. You can find us anywhere you look for environmental as anything. And if you're really keen to see the show carry on, please do go and support us on Patreon. Again, you can find us by just searching environmental as anything Patreon. Thank you for your support. Be gentle with yourselves. Be kind to each other. And remember, we are all in this together. Uh-huh.